Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning. So if you could not tell, I'm not Pastor Dan. Um, my name is David. I am the youth director for the, uh, for the church here at Jacobswell. Um, and I have the great privilege of being able to bring God's word to you today. Um, so today we are going to be continuing in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we are starting in chapter 2 and reading verses one through five. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a red Bible in the chair in front of you that you can use. Uh, And if you are in that Bible, then the passage today is on page 952. Uh, And if you're in the large blueprint Bible, it's 1132, and the children's Bible is 1238. If you're in some other Bible, It's in the New Testament. It's one of the larger books after Acts and Romans. Um, And then it's before, so 1 Corinthians is before 2 Corinthians, okay? So hopefully that helps. (laughs) Okay, so if you could follow along with me as I read from God's word. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And he says, and I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we come to your word weak and fearful, um, and we ask that that your spirit come down and teach us from your word, Lord. Uh, We ask that you work mightily today um, out of your power and teach us uh, just what it is that happened on the cross and what that means to us, Lord. Um, We pray all of those things in your name. Amen. July 31st, 2018 is to date the worst day of my life. That was the day that my wife and I found out that we had miscarried our third child. And while miscarriages are sadly common, Experiencing the death of my own child is something that I just had no explanation for. There's no category for it in my mind. And conventional wisdom did nothing to comfort me during this time. So as I'm, as I'm processing all of these thoughts and feelings, uh, because I'm an external processor, uh, to understand my feelings that day, I decided to write something. 
And uh, I would like to share it with you today. This is what I wrote the day that I found out that our third child had died. I said, one week ago, while I was in North Carolina on a missions trip, I got a call from my wife that made my world flip upside down. Beth called me to tell me that she had her ultrasound and our baby was not growing the way it was supposed to and that our baby had no heartbeat. It felt like the floor dropped out from under me. But we had another ultrasound scheduled for today with the hope that maybe something would change. We told as many people as we could and through many tears asked that people would pray for a miracle. But most of all, that we would know that God is good and that he loves us. Today, we found out that our child who was conceived 11 weeks ago had died. And I am grieved in my heart and confronted with the reality that this world is not the way it should be. That there is something deeply wrong with a world where death exists and parents have to feel the devastation of knowing that they will never get to watch their child cry for the first time. They will never get to see their child grow and become sassy. They will never get to hear their child say, I love you. Something is wrong with a world where death and pain and loss are an everyday occurrence. And as I'm reeling from the shock of hearing the words, you've had a miscarriage, I'm left with a lot of questions that I don't have the answers to. I don't know why God changed my heart and gave me the desire to have a third child when I was content with our two beautiful girls if he knew this was going to happen. I don't know why God didn't save our child when we begged him for a miracle. I don't know why we had to first find out that our baby had no heartbeat when my wife and I were hundreds of miles away from each other and had no way to comfort each other. I don't know why my heart hurts so much from losing a child that I've never met. And I don't know why there's no one and nothing that I can blame for this tragedy. Have you ever had something shake you up? Have you ever had or experienced something that you just couldn't explain? Something that makes you question everything that you knew? Have you ever experienced something that makes you doubt the things that you would normally put your faith in? If you haven't, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you will. I can't tell you what it will be. I can't tell you when it will be. But I can tell you that someday, sometime, something will shake you to your core. And when it happens, when you are facing things so much greater than yourself, what will you turn to for hope? Well, here at Jacob's Well, we believe that the gospel of Christ is the best place to turn to for hope. In fact, if you look at the back of your bulletin, you'll see that the very first, most important emphasis for Jacob's Well as a church is being gospel-centered. And we believe that being gospel-centered should be at the core of everything that we do, in large part because of these five verses. 
See, in today's passage, Paul, one of the most intellectual biblical authors, chooses to strip away every logical argument to simply state the fact that our faith must not depend on the wisdom of men, but must rest entirely on the power of God, which is in full display through the gospel of Christ. So the question that I want to answer today is why? Right? Why is it necessary for our lives to rest on the gospel instead of the wisdom of men? And the answer is because only the gospel of Christ is simply profound enough, independently powerful enough, and indescribably peaceful enough to give us hope in the most difficult of circumstances. Now, before we dig into the meat of this passage, I do want to clarify something, okay? I want to make it clear that Paul here is not dismissing wisdom, okay? He is not saying that wisdom is bad. Wisdom is good. Wisdom is not the enemy of faith. Wisdom reinforces our faith. And it is important for all Christians to grow in wisdom, In fact, last week, Pastor Dan talked about how Paul was saying that wisdom isn't just a virtue, that wisdom is, in fact, the person, Jesus Christ. So Paul obviously believes that Christians must grow and deepen themselves in Jesus, who became wisdom to us. This passage is not a contradiction. This passage is not dismissing the importance of wisdom. Paul is saying here that the wisdom of men is not what we rest our faith in. Paul is saying that we can only find unshakable hope in Christ and in his gospel. And the first reason that we find in this passage is because the gospel of Christ is simply profound. Okay, if we look at verse 1 and 2, Paul says, And I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, who is an expert at creating well-reasoned, complicated arguments, chose only to preach about Jesus and his crucifixion to the Corinthians. And through Paul's choice to only preach Christ crucified, we can recognize two things about the gospel. First is that it is simple. And second, that it is profound. The gospel is simple. Thank God for that. Right? This is good for all of us, okay? Because like the Corinthians, many of us by the world's standards are not that great. I'm sorry. Okay, but here's the good news. That's okay, because the gospel is simple, and it is for simple people like you and like me. See, the gospel is so simple that anyone can believe in it. Paul, in verse 1, didn't come to them proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom because he didn't have to. The simplicity of the gospel makes it accessible to everyone, even those of us who might be considered too uneducated, too poor, or too young. 
for me in my life, I have one particular person who constantly reminds me of the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, and that person is my daughter, Anora. So my four-year-old daughter is like constantly making faith statements in very simple but profound and impactful ways. Uh, and one recent, one of my favorite times that this happened, so I was in, we were at home and I was in my room I just hear Anora yelling from the other room and she's like, Dad! Dad! And I was like, oh, something's wrong. There's like a bug in the house or she can't, her Barbie broke or I don't know. So I asked her, I was like, honey, what's wrong? And she yells back, Dad, you're a sinner. <laughs> yeah, kids are great, aren't they? So, so as, as I'm like a little wounded uh, from, from uh, the fact that my daughter is screaming at me that I'm a sinner, um, I'm thinking of excuses for my sin, right? And uh, as I'm thinking of these excuses, I think to myself, I'm like, you know, shoot, she's right. And so, so I yell back at her, and I was like, yep, that's true. And then I hear her, and she yells, but that's okay, because Jesus forgives you. And... I, through my four-year-old, I was practically brought to tears because of the simply profound truth that I am a sinner, but Jesus forgives me. And so after I composed myself, I went to her and I, I talked to her and I said, yeah, you know what, Anora, you're right. Jesus does forgive me. And I asked her, does he forgive you? And she just laughs and is like, yeah. It's like, great. <laughs> the gospel is so simple that anyone can believe it. And at the same time, the gospel is so profound that it will never stop affecting us. See, verse 2 is a simple statement. But the reality of Christ's crucifixion will never stop affecting us. And let me explain why that's so incredible. Okay, we as people have um, this device in us, I guess, that constant exposure makes us calloused, okay, to the thing that we're being exposed to, for good or for bad. It's just sort of like a defense mechanism. So here are some examples for you. If you eat, like, copious amounts of hot sauce, eventually it will stop upsetting your stomach. It will stop bothering you because you have become calloused to hot sauce. Okay, another example is if you are exposed to a lot of violence in TV, movies, or games, the constant exposure will make you callous towards seeing violence. Okay, exposure physically or emotionally makes us calloused so that we are less affected by the thing we have been exposed to. But something that I have discovered about the gospel is that the more I am exposed to it, the more it affects me. Okay, I have been raised in the church almost my entire life, and I have been exposed to the gospel more times than I can count. According to my theory, I should feel very callous toward the gospel. It would be normal if I was less affected now than I was then when I hear about the gospel of Christ. But the gospel is not normal. It is profound. 
And after all of my exposure to the gospel, I am not calloused toward it at all. I have become incredibly sensitive to it. And my wife can attest to this, but like we'll be at church or I'll be preparing for youth group or teaching or listening to a song about Jesus or one of my daughters will say literally anything about Jesus and I'll just like burst into tears, okay? It's weird. It's really weird, all right? And I, it, it doesn't make sense to me, okay? My sensitivity to the gospel has completely ruined my tough guy reputation, you can laugh. It's a joke, okay? Um, but my sensitivity to the gospel has done this because I just keep getting overwhelmed by the profound love that I feel from the simple truth that Christ died for me. You see, the gospel is simply profound. It is so simple that a child can believe in it. And it is so profound that it will never stop affecting us. The reason, the reason why we must rest our lives on the gospel of Christ instead of the wisdom of man is because it is simple and profound. When it feels like the world is crashing down all around us, when we feel lost, when a loved one dies, when we lose a job, or when our faith stops making logical sense to us, when logic, hard work, and the wisdom of men fail us, that's okay. Because as God's children, we are not resting our lives on logic, hard work, or the wisdom of men. We are resting our lives on the simple truth that Christ died for us. And the profoundness of that truth will always and inexplicably give us hope. See, it is necessary for our lives to rest on the gospel of Christ because it is simply profound. It is also necessary for our lives to rest on the gospel of Christ instead of the wisdom of men because the gospel of Christ is independently powerful. In verse 3 and 4, Paul says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul here is saying that he humbled himself next to the gospel of Christ. In weakness and in fear and much trembling, Paul preaches the gospel to the Corinthians. And this is kind of what it looks like. Paul does not try to speak for the gospel. He does not try to convince the Corinthians that the gospel is true. He doesn't try to make it make sense. He does not try to make the gospel culturally relevant. He simply lets the power of the gospel speak for itself. In a sense, he just lets the lion out of the cage. Okay, Paul didn't teach the gospel to the Corinthians through his words of wisdom because it was better for the Corinthians to know that the gospel is independently powerful. Paul is reminding them here in this passage that the power of the gospel is the only thing that is needed for salvation. But instead of trying to explain to you how that works with my words of wisdom, 
I want to tell you about the first time that I got to witness God's salvation power. Uh, when I was in college the first time, uh, I went on a trip, a mission trip to Ghana, Africa. Um, and while we were there, me and one of the other guys, we were out looking for lunch and we were really hungry. And uh, we saw this guy across, across a courtyard, I don't know what you'd call it, but saw a guy. Uh, and uh, we made eye contact. And in my head, I was like, because I was really hungry. I didn't want to talk to him. So, um, but, but we made eye contact, and he's like, hey, hey. And then he comes running over to us, and he's like, are you here to tell us about Jesus? And uh, it's, it's not actually that weird in Ghana, because what they learned in this town is that when white people are there, it's to tell people about Jesus, which is awesome. It's really cool that they've learned that. Um, so we're like, uh, yeah, yep, that's why we're here. We're here to tell people about Jesus. Uh, and so we started talking with him. We learned a little bit about him. We learned that he was Muslim, that he has some pretty typical views about God, things like uh, God exists to make our lives better, um, things like uh, God must not love him because his life wasn't very good. Um, and uh, so we were talking, and we were like, hey, can we, can we tell you what we believe? And he was like, yeah, please do. And so... Um, so I pulled out um, a little booklet that I had because I've never really shared the gospel up until this point. And so it's this booklet filled with scripture that kind of walks you through the gospel story. Uh, sometimes it's called a track. You've probably seen a version of it before. Um, and so I'm using this booklet and I'm ta- telling you about how God made us and he has a great purpose for us. And I'm about to turn the page to talk about sin. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but somehow he ended up with the booklet in his hands and I didn't have it anymore, uh, at which point he just, like, completely ignored me. So he's just reading this to himself. Uh, and uh, every once in a while, you know, he'd, he'd flip the page and ask us a question, and we'd answer, and then he'd go back to ignoring us. And, but what's interesting is, is watching him read it, okay? Because his demeanor just slowly changed with every, every page he turned. Um, and I watched him get more and more serious, um, and then he got to the end of the book, looked up, and he's like, how do I do this? And I looked at where he was pointing, and he was pointing at the section that talked about receiving Christ. And I was like, oh, well, we pray to receive Christ. And then he's like, can we do this now? And I was shocked, okay? I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I was like, uh, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, do you, even, do you even know what this means? And he's like, Yeah. I want Jesus to be my king. I want to follow him. I want him to save me from my sin. And so we prayed right then and there for him to receive Christ. And then he walked away. And he didn't didn't walk away super far because there was another guy that was there that was kind of like watching us from a distance. So he walks over to this guy and he starts talking to him. And the two of them are, they're talking in in their native tongue and getting really excited and and like really fast. And and then they stop and then he brings this guy over to us. And he's like, hey, this is my brother. He wants to become a Christian too. And so we prayed with him to receive Christ. And And then all of a sudden, they just started like singing and dancing and like clapping and praising God. And it was the craziest thing I have ever seen. Okay, I wish I I could tell you all the details of this story here. But I've never been a part of anything like that before. It was crazy. And it was also 
the best evangelism lesson I have ever gotten. See, God showed me in the most clear way possible that he doesn't need me to save people. Right? He doesn't need me to be smart, wise, winsome, eloquent, or logical for someone to come to faith. God showed me on that day that it's only through his power, by his word, and his spirit that the hearts of men are changed. See, something that we need to know is that it's not wrong to defend our faith with wisdom and logic. In fact, we are commanded to do this. But while we are doing this, we must also always remember that hearts aren't changed by wisdom or logic. People are not saved because we can eloquently defend the wisdom of putting our faith in Christ. And dead souls are not brought back to life by the wisdom of men. We who believe have been brought from death into life because Jesus is powerful, independent of us. And I think that it is incredibly timely for us to be reminded of this. You see, for the last few weeks, Pastor Dan has been alluding to this 2020 campaign where we as a church will, God willing, share the gospel of Christ with 2,020 people here. And when you come to the annual meeting tonight, you'll get to hear the details of this campaign, which is really exciting. Unless, you know, for you it's not. Right? I don't want to miss the fact that maybe some of us, maybe for some of us, every time we hear about this 2020 campaign, we get a little bit anxious. You know, maybe for some of us, we aren't just a little anxious. Maybe when you hear about this, you feel very weak and are afraid of sharing the gospel. But here's the good news. It's okay to be weak and afraid. Because Paul, who is weak and afraid, is reminding us here that a person's salvation does not depend on us. It depends on Christ, who is independently powerful enough to bring dead souls back to life. And all we need to do is tell people about the hope we have in the gospel. And then we get to be a witness to his salvation power. So it is necessary for our entire lives to rest on the gospel of Christ instead of the wisdom of men. Because the gospel is simply profound. Because it is independently powerful. And because it brings indescribable peace. In verse 5, Paul explains why he chose to only speak about Christ and his crucifixion. And he says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thanks to the gospel of Christ, we can rest. We can rest in God's power, which brings us indescribable peace. And the reason why the gospel allows us to rest on God's power is primarily because we are no longer in conflict with God's power. 
Okay, we are no longer at war with God and his infinite power. But sometimes I, can think, I think that we can forget the significance of being at peace with God and his infinite and awesome power. So to remind us what a gift this is, the book of Luke writes about what Jesus goes through before he's crucified on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke shows that Jesus was under enormous amounts of stress. Okay, the book of Luke explains that Jesus didn't sleep at all the night before he was crucified. He was literally restless. Jesus asked God if there was any other way to redeem creation other than his death on the cross, which I don't think Jesus has ever asked God not to do something in his will before. Jesus prayed fervently for hours. Jesus sweat blood that night, which to be clear is not a supernatural event. This is a physical symptom of extreme stress. And God chose to send an angel from heaven to minister to Jesus that night, probably because he was so stressed. And I was reading this a couple years ago, and I, I just, I don't know, I was just wondering to myself, what on earth could cause Jesus to be so stressed? I mean, come on. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. Jesus is the great I am. When Jesus reveals his glory to people, people fall over as if they're dead. All of creation was made through Jesus. Jesus can calm terrifying storms with a couple of words. Demons run in terror from Jesus. And Jesus can raise people from the dead, including himself. What in all of creation could cause Jesus to be so stressed? And the answer is nothing. Nothing in all of creation could cause Jesus so much stress. Only the anticipation of bearing all of God's furious wrath for our sin upon the cross could affect him this way. You see, Jesus, better than anyone, understood God's hatred for our sin. And Jesus, better than anyone, understood God's power. And to put it simply, Jesus was stressed about bearing the burden of God's wrath for all of our sin upon the cross. And even though Jesus did not want to bear the wrath our sin deserves, <clears throat> he chose willingly to drink the entire cup of God's wrath so that we could be at peace with God. You know, a while ago, um, I was with one of my students uh, who did not grow up in the church, and, and he asked me a question. He was like, why, why do you have crosses all over the place? Okay, uh, to quote him, he, he said, uh, why do Christians celebrate Jesus' death on a horribly brutal torture device? Which is a fair question, okay? I get that. And here's why. The reason why we have this giant cross in the middle of the stage, the reason why Paul chooses to preach nothing but Christ crucified, the reason why we say that Good Friday is good, 
The reason why the gospel of Christ allows us to rest on God's power is because all of God's wrath for our sin was satisfied the night that Christ was crucified. Not some of it, all of it. God's just wrath for our sin was completely satisfied by the atoning death of Jesus Christ, which means that God only uses his infinite power for our good, to prosper us, to protect us, and to teach us. See, we who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have an indescribable peace through the gospel of Christ because the power which has destroyed sin and death, the power which raised Jesus from the grave, the power which brings dead souls back to life, the greatest, most awesome power of all is on our side. And we rest our entire lives on the gospel of Christ instead of the wisdom of men because only the gospel gives us hope of eternal and indescribable peace with God. At the beginning of the sermon, uh, I told you that July 31st, 2018 is to date the worst day of my life, which is true. The death of my child wrecked me, and I was filled with so many questions that I did not have the answers to, and that all of the wisdom of men could not answer. But that is only half of the story, because the gospel of Christ, which is simply profound, independently powerful and brings indescribable peace, did what should not have been possible. God, through the gospel, gave me hope in the midst of unbearable grief. And so after I wrote all of the questions that I did not have the answers to, I wrote everything that I knew was true because of the simple and profound and powerful truth that Christ died for me. I wrote this. I have lots of things that I don't know. But I have more things that I know. I know that God is good and he loves me. I know that when I am angry at God for not saving my child, when I shake my fist at him, that he doesn't strike me down for my irreverence, but holds me close and comforts me as I rage against him. I know that God has designed and uses his church to comfort his children. I've seen it as both close friends and complete strangers who have the same hope in Christ that I have weep with me, pray with me, and praise God with me as we mourn this loss of life. I know that God knew this child better than I did, that he knitted this child in best womb, that he poured all of his love and attention on this child and loved this child more deeply than I ever could. I know that God understands my pain, not just for the death of my child, but because his own son died a cruel and unjust death. I know that it is my fault that this child died. Maybe not directly, but because of the curse of sin of which I am a contributor, 
death entered into God's perfect creation. I know that while I am helpless to stop sin and death, God is not. I know that God also sees the world is not the way it should be, and that because of his deep love for his creation, he willingly gave his only son to die on a cross so that we might have life and hope for a world without tears, pain, or death. I know that I am heartbroken, but God is holding the pieces of my heart in place, that he grieves with me, he comforts me, and he gives me hope of an everlasting life in heaven with him through the death of his son. And I know that this is true, because even though Jesus, the son of God, died and was buried, the grave could not contain him. And he conquered death once and for all and promises that all who have faith in his saving grace and confess him as Lord shall have everlasting life. I know that I am grieving deeply, but I don't grieve as one without hope because I have a God who is good and who loves me, a God whose love is greater even than death. Church, the gospel of Christ is true. It is simple, it is profound, it is powerful, and we can have peace and hope in every circumstance because we know that nothing, not even sin and death, can overcome our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the simple truth that you are greater than sin and death and that because you died for us, through your power, we can have indescribable peace and hope in a future forever with you. We thank you and praise you, God. We pray this all in your name. Amen.